0: It's been a while since I've uh, been here with you. In fact, since the last time I was here, I was with two of our leaders in Burundi, Africa, where the chapel... Almost ten years ago adopted a village, and hopefully in the next week or two i 'll give you an update on how things are going there it 's stunning the, the transformation Burundi is the poorest country in the world, and we work with the poorest people in that country, which makes them some of the poorest people in the world so i can 't wait to give you that update, but when we were there, we also met with a, a new potential partner. I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of things they 're doing they 're teaching the people in this one village how to bake bread uh, in large quantities and then take it to the market to sell it. They just don't have this concept. And so they they help them build these kind of ovens. and um, And here's some of the produce on the floor. I was in this little hut, and there's the produce. I forget how many I ate, but it was... <laughs> Some of the best bread I love bread, and, and I've had the fortune of traveling around the world different places. India, they've got, you know, Nan, and in, in Kenya, they've got chapati and other places they have different types of bread. Europe's known for its bread. I love bread. And um, anyway, so it's really been fun. And um, speaking of bread, I thought I'd just show off our granddaughter for a second. Here we are making pizza dough bread, and this uh, our granddaughter Blakeland, one of our granddaughters, the other one is Bristol, with my wife, making pizza. And uh, love bread. Do you guys love bread? That's good because today we're talking about Jesus and he, when he said, I am the bread of life. So clearly, Jesus was a bread fan. He was into carbs, probably not a keto diet for, per person. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about. It's a great phrase, isn't I am the bread of life. We'll get into that a little bit more. So take a look at that, John chapter 6, if you would. Okay, let's, it's a long chapter. We can't cover all of us. We're going to start at verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So uh, earlier in this chapter, Jesus multiplies the, the, the two fish and the five loaves and, and, and five loaves of bread and free, feeds more than five thousand people. It, all of Jesus' miracles amaze me. This one probably amazes me more than the other ones. How in the world did that even happen? And, uh, and all of these boats of people are showing up where this happened, you know? And, and may, I don't know, maybe it's like uh, today, you know, Woodstock. Remember Woodstock, some of you, back in 1969? I can tell some of you were there. And... Uh, <laughs> And people were still visiting Woodstock to see it there. Or maybe it's the 9-11 sites, or maybe it's um, Gettysburg. But people go to places where significant things happened, right? And so they were showing up there to see the place, to find the miracle worker who is Jesus. But there was more going on there than that. We continue. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum, just not very far away, but across the lake, across it's the Sea of Galilee, to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. There it is. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So uh, the places I've been, I've been a part of World Relief uh, uh, food distribution in, in Africa. I mean, people will show up where there is free food. It's a hungry world, you know? Free food, that draws a crowd. That's why some of you go to Sam's. They have free food all around Sam's. (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we had, you know, a God, like a, this the divine vending machine who would provide food whenever you wanted? And I think that's what the people had in mind. And maybe what they had in mind was that maybe you know this story from Exodus where, the, where Moses is leading the, the Israelites through the wilderness 40 years, and they, they have no food, and they cry out to Moses. Moses cries out to God, and so God provides this heavenly bread called manna, and every day they are filled to the brim. They've got food to eat. Maybe that's what they have in mind, that Jesus is like Moses, this prophet Moses, a divine vending machine. We're going to get what we want. But Jesus wants more for them than they want for themselves. And I would say this, Jesus wants more for you and me than we want for ourselves. But do, and Jesus says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food, which makes me feel stupid now. I made a big thing out about loving bread, Okay. It reminds me also of Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember this? Where Jesus says, don't don't worry about things like clothing and food, but give focus to the kingdom of God, and all those other things will be added to you. Well, Jesus goes on, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food, like bread. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for for God the Father has given me the seal of approval. So now in Jesus' sights right now is this idea of eternal life. He's moving them toward a conversation of eternal life. What do I mean by eternal life? It's not just beyond the grave. I mean, that, that's important, right? Living beyond the grave. That's the gift that God wants to give us. But it's also experience experiencing life right now, real life, the way God has intended us to live right now. And he says that, that, that God the Father has given them the sign of approval. What does that mean? All of the miracles, go back to the very first one, John chapter 2, where Jesus changes water to wine. All all of these are are, are God's are God's um, sign of approval, seal of approval, that Jesus is truly the Son of God, is truly God in the flesh. And he and, and these miracles point to to the the val- validate who he is. And now Jesus is here to talk to them about eternal life. But they're still, they're still unclear. They're still not sure what Jesus is getting at. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Now this is, I remember reading my Bible many years ago. I came across this and I underlined it. I thought, wow, that's kind of like, that's what I want to know too. I mean, if God wants me to do something, I want to know what it is. And do you know all of the all of the major religions of the world are rooted in this question? All of the major religions of the world teach their people, you need to do the works of God in order to be right with God, in order to be on God's side, in order to receive God's favor. You just got to figure out how much work you gotta do. And I underline that. God, what do you you want me to do? Do you ever wonder that? God, what work do you want me to do? And then I read the next line, and I underlined it twice. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Bam, done. We're done with the message here. You guys have a good day. Belief. That's what he says. Just believe. That's the only work you got to do is believe. Now that begs the question, what is belief? I mean, if somebody were asking, your kids were to ask, your friend was that, what do you mean by belief? Belief is the same word as trust. You know, um, you, it's, it's, it's the idea of transferring your trust to something. What, what, today, when you came in, Today, when you came in, you sat in that chair. Why did you sit in that chair? Why did you feel comfortable sitting in this chair? It's this an old illustration, but it's worth saying again. You sat in that chair because you trusted that chair. You trusted that chair would hold you up. You transferred your weight to that chair. And Jesus is saying, "Would you not just simply transfer your weight to me, your life to me? Believe in me. We can't work enough to earn God's favor." Jesus is saying, just believe. Trust in me. What does it look like to believe in Jesus? It means to believe in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his teaching. And gradually pattern your life in a way such that Jesus would live your life as if he were you. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. And then ultimately, this is the way it works. We become more and more turned into the image of Christ belief. That's all Jesus is asking is believe in me. Now we're going to have more to say, but let me stop here for a real life question. I think it's important. Have I believed in Jesus? Have you put your belief in Jesus or are you still trusting in yourself? And what is my motivation for believing or following Jesus? Is it just to get something? Have him do a miracle for me? Or is it because he is just plain trustworthy? Worthy of my trust. Now, Belief is hard. Belief is hard for people. It's hard for you, perhaps. It was hard for people back then. Watch what happens next. (laughs) They answered, show us a miracle, a miraculous sign. If you want us to believe in you, what can you do? Which I think that's an hilarious question. It's like, had they not been reading the newspapers? I mean, Jesus has been doing new miracles, but they want to see more. They want to see more. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I want you to notice something, the very last line. Moses gave them some some them bread from heaven to eat. Notice they don't give credit to God, which, if you read the story back in Exodus, is God who gave them the, the, the heavenly bread. They don't give credit to God, they give credit to Moses, which means they they still don't see Jesus as anything more than Moses. They don't see him as God, as God. In the flesh, not yet. And so Jesus reveals now, this is important, Jesus, re- we're coming to our phrase, Jesus reveals more of himself. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. It's kind of like the woman at the well. Sir, if you've got this living water, I want that. I want it. Give it to me. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. I want to do a sidebar conversation just about those two little words, I am. Some of you know this, some of you don't. That's all right. If you go back to the story of Exodus, when Jesus is talking to God in the burning bush, maybe you know that story, and Moses is wondering, God, someday when somebody's asking about you, how do I refer to you? What is is your name? And God simply says, I am that I am. What? Yeah. When people say, what's my name? I am. That's God's name. I am. What that means is that God is the self-sustaining one. His plans, his personhood, his agenda is not contingent on anyone or anything. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those Israelites, those Jewish people who were listening to him say, I am the bread of life. As soon as they heard him say, I am, they knew Jesus was making himself equal with God, God himself. I am the bread of life. And now as we continue in the Gospel of John, you're going to see that occur a number of times. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am, I am, I am the one. I am the bread of life. Now let's return to our phrase. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see that phrase, will never be thirsty. Can you think back to our discussion in John chapter 4? John's sitting with this woman at the well, and they're talking about physical water. And Jesus says to her, I have living water for you that will lead to eternal life. Not just life beyond the grave, but I mean, life right now. She had been giving her lives to all kinds of junk that never fulfilled her. I can give you living water that will lead to eternal life. And now Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Just like I can satisfy your deeper thirst for God, your deeper thirst for eternal life, your deeper, your deeper thirst for what matters I can satisfy your hunger as the bread of life, your deeper hunger for God, your deeper deeper hunger for eternal life. William Barclay, a commentarian, says it like this, the bread of God was he who came down from heaven and gave men not simply satisfaction from physical hunger, but life. Jesus was claiming that the only real satisfaction wasn't him, I ask you, do you have that life? that comes through belief in Jesus. The text continues. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus? I love this. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his dad and mom. How can he say, I came down from heaven? I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. There it is right there. Underline that. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. They ate bread day after day after day after day, and then, boom, they're dead. I'm talking about something different. Anyone who eats the bread, the bread from heaven, however, will die, will never die. I am living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Now what Jesus is referring to is he's throughout the gospel of John, you'll see Jesus overtly and not so overtly referring to the cross that is coming. And here Jesus is referring to what's coming when he will be the atoning sacrifice for your sin and my sin on the cross so that he can win for us this gift of eternal life. But the way he says it, it's a bit off-putting, as you can tell by their response. The people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. Hmm, that sounds kind of gross, rather off-putting. But Jesus, he doubles down on the metaphor. Watch this. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Wow. What does that mean? Do you know there are offshoots of Christianity, which are no longer Christian, but they're offshoots. There are religions in the world that out of hand reject Christianity because of what's said right here. Christianity is cannibalism. It's gross. You've got to eat his flesh, drink his blood. Come on. And for the Jews back then, that was unorthodox. And it was weird. And if you and I were back there, we'd think, that's weird. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. Let me help you understand what he's saying here. When, t- t- this morning, when, when you ate some food, when you drank your coffee, when you drank your water, whatever it was, you committed that food, that drink, to your body. Like I you something else, you also committed your body to that thing that you ate and that you drank. It's done now. It's part of me, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Belief. It's transferring trust. I, I, I believe so much that I take Jesus into my life. And what is the result? The gift is eternal life. Some of us in this room have read over the years this guy named J.I. Packer. I love what he says as he tries to explain this. The reference Jesus made to eating his flesh and drinking his blood is a, metaf- it's a metaphor. It's a metaphorical way of describing the person who draws on claims or lays hold of the reality of his atoning sacrifice by putting personal faith in him, we've constantly got to come back to that. What are we talking about? We're talking about depending upon Jesus. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about dependence. Here it is. Jesus does the work on the cross, and our work is to believe. That's it. His work is to die on the cross for our sins, take our sins onto himself. Our work is to believe. We depend entirely on him. So here at the chapel, we have five core values. I won't go through all five of them, but the number one value, do you know what it is? It's this one. We depend on God. We rely on God and his word. And that's what this chapter is really about, depending on God. How does does the chapter begin? It's with Jesus feeding the the more than 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And the people are completely dependent upon Jesus for this physical food. And and then Jesus brings in this conversation about Moses and how in the wilderness God miraculously provides this, this bread from heaven and the people are completely dependent upon God. And then Jesus turns the conversation to himself, I am the bread of life. And through belief in me, you can have eternal life, not just life beyond the grave, but life right now, if you will just depend upon me. There are lots of things, friends, aren't there, that we can put our dependence upon. Lots of things. A lot of very good things. Just recently, just a favorite pastor, teacher, theologian, Tim Keller, passed away two weeks ago. We've quoted him many times in this room, but he wrote a book some years ago called Counterfeit Gods. And in this book, he talks about all all of the good things we know and love that can become a counterfeit God for us, the things we lean into (laughs) and depend upon, excuse me, and depend upon. I I want to ask this question, who or what am I dependent on? Let me give you eight scenarios, and I guarantee in this room, every one of us, every one of us, has fallen into one or more of these. Let me just give you some samples. We can depend on our paycheck, but our jobs are not guaranteed tomorrow. We can depend on friends, but even our closest of friends can still let us down. We can depend on our looks and appearance, but none of us are getting any younger. Do I hear an amen from anybody on that? (laughs) We can depend on our family, but many of us have been betrayed by those closest to us. We can depend on our intellect, but our memory can slowly slip away. We can depend on technology, but technology has its flaws. We can depend on doctors, but even their knowledge is limited. We can depend on ourselves, but even the strongest, most capable, hardworking people come to the end of themselves or crack. Who or what do we depend on? Back to the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Some years ago, I, I, I taught a, a Bible series to a class. You know what it was called? It was called, it was called I wish Jesus had not said that. <laughs> there are some, some, some things in the Bible I wish Jesus had not said because they are too hard. Coming to faith in Jesus, I think, is easier than walking with Jesus. It can be, it can be difficult. Some of the things that he says, really? Really? Yeah. Years ago, Ken Meadema wrote a song called Flying Upside Down. That's what it's like to live in the kingdom of God, different than the world does. It can be hard at times. And you know, sometimes people hear things and they walk away. Look what happened. Many of his disciples, his followers, the people who were tracking with him, following him as they did miracles, they said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 followers, the disciples, which is including Judas, and asked, are you also going to leave? What a question. Are you also going to leave? And I want to ask you, will you leave? I've been a pastor for a lot of years now. My wife and I have known a lot of people who have come to church and expressed interest in God over periods of time. I can't say whether or not they were true believers or not. Only God knows those who are his. You can find that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Only God knows those who are his. But there are people who have seen, like, come to church, they want to get a little religion in their life, check out God for a little while. But they hear things that they just don't agree with, they don't like kind of like the disciples who walked away. We never see them again. That's one category. But there's another category, and many of you in this room are in this category, where your, your trust, your belief, is clearly in Jesus. But that doesn't make you exempt from the ebbs and flows of life and the waves that will come over you, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. let me kind of build a crescendo here just a few days ago I was reading a journal i get emotional I think about some of the things i wrote i wrote a journal for many years so i don't know how i came across this page but i'm reading about in our early days of ministry my wife and i we had young kids and they're like in i don't know elementary junior high and we i was in ministry we Churches don't pay a huge amount of money and we just didn't have we I was really honest in this journal about our finances and scared. I thought, is it is it really worth it what I'm doing? Is this really worth it what I'm doing? And then and then another journal I have Filled about when we made our move from Akron up to this area, and the scary, the scary feelings we went through. As it was horrible. Is this really worth it? I mean, do are we really doing the right thing? As I said, I want a crescendo, because what I just shared there is small potatoes compared to what some of you have been through. You've lost a child. You've lost a loved one. You've lost a spouse. You've lost a livelihood, a job. You've had to move. You've been through incredible, incredible difficulties in your life. I think about Pastor Todd and Lisa and their girls. He's not here this weekend. He's at Sandusky Campus. He's telling the story of what they're going through with Carter. I'm sure many of you have joined my wife and me as we pray every day for healing for the for Carter, for freedom from this mysterious disease, the things we go through and yet Jesus asks us, I think, "Are you going to leave also? Are you going to leave?" Somebody has said that God won't give us more more than we can handle. That's baloney. That's not in the Bible. And the question is, will we lean into Jesus or away? And I love this this reply of Peter. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter has a sense. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Okay, my, my granddaughter and I watched the other day Beauty and the Beast. You name, you name the show, the movie, you love the best. And when you're in the middle of it, you think this is horrible. You're just hoping it's going to turn out okay. And you know what? Jesus says, it's going to turn out okay. I've seen the end. I've seen the end. Like Tim Keller said as he he addressed the the, the victims' families right after 9-11, quoting from Lord of the Rings, all things sad will become untrue. Keep your eyes on Jesus. All sad things will become untrue. There's a good Ending to this story. I'll just end with three questions. Have I believed in Jesus? What is my motivation? I hope it's nothing more than he is worthy of the transfer of your trust. Who or what am I depending on? Hopefully you're leaning into him. And what step of faith do I need to take today? And maybe it's just a step of surrender. Let's pray together. And God, now thank you for your word. Thank you for the truthfulness of what Jesus said. Just like we'll eat today. Help us to look to you. Jesus said when he was being tempted that man does not live by bread alone, but by every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. help us to abide in Jesus in Jesus name we pray amen